Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 211. 211 of these babies. <laughs> well, I'm Douglas Wilson. Thanks for joining me. So I want to talk a little bit uh, this episode about resistance to mandates, uh, vaccine mandates in particular. And this is uh, an issue that's bubbling up uh, in, different parts of, in different parts of the country. As I write this, uh, as I write this, as I say this, as I record this, the state right next door, Washington State, is going to go to uh, an extreme vaccine passport uh, situation next Monday. We've got various battles around the country. Uh, Southwest uh, Airlines uh, had a showdown with their pilots. I hear that there's uh, trouble brewing with the air traffic controllers. Different police departments and whatnot are having trouble with um, people refusing to get the mandates. and. During this uh, time when we're being told that there's this health crisis and the hospitals are crowded, what they're actually doing is creating a situation where they have to lay off doctors and nurses. Uh, They have to uh, exclude unvaccinated uh, medical professionals. Now, why would medical medical professionals or would not be uh, normally numbered among the rubes and corn pones that are skeered of of medical science? Uh, There are reasons for not liking this vaccine in the first place. And if the government had simply recommended the vaccine, we could all have debates, one group debating another group. But the mandates have skewed everything. So um, we have a dictatorial government by press release where the president announced that if your business had more than 100 people, you were going to have to have everybody vaccinated. But there was no order that to accompany this statement, which means that no lawsuits can be filed against a non-existent order. And this non-existent order, but coupled with a press release, allowed corporations to hide behind it and say, well, we're just doing what the federal government dictates. And I would add that a number of um, Christian leaders can do the same thing. They can hide behind, well, Romans 13 or, well, 1 Peter uh, 2. We've got to, we've got to obey, right? Well, uh, no, <laughs> no, this is not that kind of situation. I've gone over some of this, some of this territory before, but remember that in Romans 13, uh, the civil authorities are God's deacon, diakonos, God's deacon, and their assigned job description is that of rewarding the righteous and punishing the wrongdoer. In this convoluted generation of ours, it's gone the other way. What they're doing is uh, punishing the righteous and rewarding the wrongdoer. So, a lot of Christians are trying to work through what what do we do about these mandates? Well, what we need to do is have a discussion about them, and I don't think we're going to have a discussion about them until there is a massive across the board refusal to comply. <laughs> if all the Southwest pilots refuse to fly under these conditions, then there's going to be a discussion. People are going to come to the table. You, you can't say, well, I'm applying for a religious exemption and, and have your Christian friends say, well, you're just, 
this is just an objection you have. It's not a religious a religious exemption. Well, everything for for a thinking Christian, everything is religious. What our in him we live and move and have our being, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do it all to the glory of God. We should get vaccines or not get vaccines uh, to the glory of God. And that means we have to be fully persuaded in our own minds. And if the government tells you to do something <laughs> like this, here, inject this substance into your body, and we will threaten you with loss of your livelihood if you don't comply. And in the meantime, one of the, there, there are three vaccines Johnson Johnson and Pfizer and Moderna. And in the meantime, a number of uh, European countries have banned Moderna because of the side effects. And you might say, well, you know, would you guys agree to dial it back a few notches and say, you know, remove the uh, mandatory aspect of this? Until you do, we will treat it, we will respond to you as though you had, and we will refuse to comply. And when that happens, the result of that is the civil magistrate loses its moral authority when everybody sees they issue commands and people don't do them. They issue commands, uh, authoritarian commands, and a lot of people refuse to comply. And all of a sudden, everybody realizes that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And, you know, we could perhaps take back some control of our out-of-control government and force it to behave. So, I'm enthusiastically in favor of organized resistance to vaccine mandates. If healthcare professionals want to recommend certain procedures, that's their job. If they want to uh, tell us that we'd be well advised to do thus and such, I might disagree with them, but that's a, a two gentlemen can have that argument. But when they mandate it in these circumstances, under these conditions, in this environment, they are hurting no one but uh, themselves. They, they're just eroding respect for the law. It's not the people who are resisting who are, people like to say, the people who are resisting are creating contempt for the law. No. People who make nonsensical laws and refuse to climb down, they're the ones who are creating contempt for the law. So we continue on with uh, episode 211, and we come to our study of hamartiology. In our study of the sins of the New Testament, which we call hamartiology, we are moving into a cluster of words having to do with idolatry. The first is idolion, idolion. And this is E-I-D-O-L-E-I-O-N, Idalion, which means an idol's temple. All right, so Idalion means an idol's temple. There's one use of this particular word in the New Testament, and it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians 8, 10. And it says, For if any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? So, idolatry was so pervasive in the ancient world that the entire economy was wrapped up with it. In this passage, we see that not only was the meat that had been offered up to an idol for sale generally, meaning that the idol temple had a meat market, but they also apparently had restaurants. <laughs> Paul says here that the person with knowledge might be seen sitting at meat in the temple. Uh, they, they not only sold it to you there, but apparently they would serve it to you there. He didn't go there to worship the idol, but rather he went there for the outstanding French dip. 
This obviously presented the first century church with an ethical challenge. On the one hand, there was nothing wrong with the meat. It wasn't demon-possessed or anything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. At the same time, a person who knew this was capable of stumbling, a fellow Christian who was not capable of disassociating the meat at the temple from the other activities at the temple. So, while strong Christians had a capacity to eat there, it was not recommended. Not everything that is lawful is helpful or necessary. Those who sacrifice to idols are sacrificing to demons, and why would you want to go eat in a haunt of demons? There are better ways to arrange for your dinner. Continuing on with episode 211 in the podcast, the book I want to review this time around is a book called The Pastor and His Critics by Joel Beakey and uh, I don't know his first name, a guy named Thompson. So Beakey and Thompson wrote a book called The Pastor and His Critics. Uh, this is a is a very sturdy, fine. It's this this book does what all books of practical um, counsel should do in a Christian setting. Turns to the Scripture. What? How do you handle criticism? Beaky and Thompson, for example, turned to well. What did Moses do? How did Moses handle criticism? Because he certainly received it. Uh, how did how did different characters in the Bible receive criticism? And it talks about, uh, this book talks about um, keeping your heart right, keeping your motives right, how to consider the source, how to check your own life on the, uh, in the likelihood or in the possibility that the criticism might be true, how to use your friends, family as a sounding board. It goes on, and the book uh, talks very helpfully about how to give criticism. So this is a this is a book mostly about receiving criticism, and a little bit uh, near the tail end about how to render it, how to uh, apply criticism, and it's just very very pastoral, very good common good sturdy biblical common sense throughout. And if you are in the ministry for more than ten minutes, you are going to have critics. You're going to have people who criticize your preaching. You're going to have people who criticize what you left out of your preaching or what you put into your preaching. You're going to have people criticize uh, your visitation schedule or your lack of a visitation schedule or how often the elders meet or, you know, you name it. There, there will always be uh, criticism. And uh, Beaky has a, makes a good point in here that there's a certain kind of critic in the church that you absolutely need. You want him there. Just imagine, just imagine a talented, intelligent, engaged pastor who never received any criticism at all. He would become, over time, I think, an insufferable coxcomb. He would, he would be the kind of person who would just have a really inflated view of himself. One of the things that, that Beaky and Thompson touch on is that your critics don't know the worst about you. Your critics might be charging you with the wrong thing, things you didn't do, faults that you're not guilty of. But if they knew what God knows about you, if they knew what God knows about your internal thought life and so on, they would really have, they'd really get you, right? So your most severe critic in this world is uh, nowhere near as strict with you as God's Holy Spirit would be. 
as it says in the Psalms, if God were to mark iniquities, who could stand? And, and of course, apart from justification, uh, none of us can stand. But justification doesn't mean that God doesn't know about your faults and failings and blind spots, and God receives you anyway. So, it's very comforting to know that when God allows this critic to apply his criticisms, um, even if they're misguided, even if they go a little bit astray, God is using this for your good. This is part of God's story for you. This book is, um, oh, I'd say medium to medium short. It's not a huge, it's not a monster tome, but it's very helpful, very good. If you're new in the ministry, if you're, if you're a seminarian or you're just heading into ministry, uh, I'd recommend this book. If you've been in the ministry for a while and you're trying to figure out what, what the heck was that <laughs> that just happened to me, I would um, do the same. Get this book. It's a good book. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Samuel Rutherford's Lex Rex, The Law and the King, with an introduction by Douglas Wilson. Order today at canonpress.com. Yeah.